The following is a presentation of the Premier Dance Network. Hi everyone, Kimberly Falker here, the founder and CEO of the Premier Dance Network, the only podcast network dedicated solely to the world of dance. And welcome to Pod to Chat with your host, Barry Corellis. Hello and welcome back. Thanks for coming to chat. I am your host, Barry Corollis, and you are listening to Pod to Chat Talking Dance on the Premier Dance Network. In this bi-weekly podcast, I candidly offer educational conversations and thoughtful analysis on all things dance. With my vast background as a director, choreographer, instructor, and dancer, I am happy to share my 18 plus years of experience with you, whether you're a professional dancer or just listening in for an insider's look into our fascinating art form. So put your earbuds in, grab a cup of coffee, sit back, and let's talk dance. Greetings. Hello. How are you? I hope that you are healthy. I hope that you are well. I hope that you are uh, remaining sane. Um, yeah, we continue on this long track of craziness. Um, that is what 2020 is turned to 2021. But um, I don't know. It's felt a little bit better over the past couple of weeks. Um, so yeah, that's that. Um, so for those of you that follow along with me regularly, uh, there's there's a little delay in my podcast releasing this week. It is actually Sunday. I don't think I've ever podcasted on a Sunday before. Um, I'm a little late because I hurt my foot. Um, before it was the insurrection, <laughs> now it's my foot. Um, but you know, life goes on, but we keep on pressing forth and I will continue to put out content just, um, lots happening. I need, I need an assistant. <laughs> I need like interns and assistant and uh, social media manager and grant writer. I need, I need help, but, um, I'm working on that. But the, the big news for me is I hurt my foot teaching, uh, about a week ago. Um, slipped on a really slippery floor. I wasn't even, I was just taking a step. I wasn't even dancing. And, uh, my when I I went to go throw my other foot down so I didn't face plant um I felt a click between my big toe and second toe so um and good news it's not broken I didn't tear anything um I got an x-ray so that there's none of that but um the physical therapist thinks that I sprained have like a minor sprain between those two toes and injured my joint so I've been Last week was like me figuring that out. So um, by the time that Thursday came around, I it just I couldn't get around to to uh, getting a podcast out. I'm also uh, choreographing something, but I'll get to that in a second. Um, and we start rehearsals for that. So between teaching, choreography, <laughs> doing things I shouldn't be doing, but then also dealing with my foot. Um, Things just got way behind, and I didn't get to a podcast, but I'm still doing it, and you will get it just a few days later, so I, I think you can handle it. Um, funny story, so I hurt my foot, and um, I was like, I don't know how to take care of myself as a teacher like I did when I was a performer, because I haven't hurt myself in a way where I couldn't like continue teaching. Um, so who does this? I came home, and while I was waiting to like hear from my doctor to to get it checked out. I was like, I need to learn something. So I pitched a story to dance teacher about teachers getting injured and uh, that got accepted. And who, why throw more stress on your own plate um, when you just get injured? But that's me. So check out, look for an article coming out in the next couple of weeks about uh, that I'm writing about teachers getting injured versus performers getting injured. And I'm, I'm looking forward to learning a lot. I, again, I don't know why I added that extra stress to my plate. I, it was completely unnecessary, but 
Um, hopefully I gained something out of it in the end. Um, so yeah, that's that. What else? So I talked about choreography. I actually started working with one of my company artists, Weston Cricot, for Movement Headquarters last week um, with his partner, Ted Keener, who is also a dancer. So he is working as a guest artist right now with us. Um, I've been really like yearning to choreograph something other than solos. We're not a big company. We're new. So we don't have like the funding to pay people for long enough to have them put themselves into pods and then pay for testing and all that. So I thought that the safest way to create something other than solos um, where people can touch each other and interact was to work with a couple. So I started working with these two gents uh, last week uh, and we developed a, a new pod de deux. World, digital world premiere. It's going to be called Roses Are Red, but dot, dot, dot. Um, and I'm actually really proud of what we've created. The piece, it really focuses on how the LGBTQIA+, plus, et cetera, et cetera, community, um, how we really struggle with the with public displays of affection with PDA. So obviously this is a Valentine's theme. Um, but our communities, we we don't always feel comfortable to do simple things like hold hands walking down the street, let alone like kiss or snog. Not that I'm really a snogger. Um, <laughs> making out in public, okay? If you don't know what that is, watch Harry Potter. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so um, I really wanted to explore uh, really just like public displays of affection within the LGBTQ community um, and how we feel about it, um, how it makes us feel endangered, how it affects relationships, mental health, and all of that perception of self. Um, because I mean, for me personally, like my husband and I, we barely show PDA in public. Um, if we hold hands, we'll hold pinkies because it can be like mistaken as maybe we weren't holding hands. Um, and I find for myself personally that I'm often actually looking at everybody else. Like a, PD, a public display of affection is almost an act of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I it, it almost feels like an act of, uh, <laughs> I can't find the word, it's gone. But like I'm, uh, what's it called? When you're a kid and you are doing things that you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> this is what happens in my podcast on Sundays. My brain is just completely non-existent. It's rebellion. It feels like an act of rebellion. But it's interesting because PDA is supposed to be about like connecting with the other person. But for me, it's more like I feel that I need to connect with the other person. But I'm staring at everybody else around me because I'm afraid that I'm going to get bashed. Like, I'm not joking. This is like a real serious thing. Um, and it was really interesting working with Ted and Wes because, um, they're like, we don't really show public displays of affection. Um, but in, at, at home, we were very affectionate. And then we started thinking about it, like talking about it. And they were like, well, we just don't think about it. Like, it's not like something we need, but I'm just curious if that is like a response to, not feeling safe or it's just the type of people they are. Um, I know for my husband and I, we probably would be more likely to show uh, public displays of affection, but um, we don't because we don't feel safe. So that was a long explanation for my intro. But so I'm, I'm currently uh, preparing to film that this week and we will be offering a world digital world premiere of Roses Are Red, but 
um, and it will come out on Valentine's Day. Um, if you want early access to it, we're offering that to our Patreon subscribers. You can go to www.patreon.com forward slash movement HQ and become a subscriber there. Or we're also actually having, we're selling cookies, filled cookies for $14. We have a personal chef, Bernadette Cura, who has been volunteering for Movement Headquarters for a while and is also working on pairings for our Land of the Sweets uh, Nutcracker, Immersive Nutcracker coming up. Um, a Cocoa Cherry Rose and passionate uh, Passion Fruit Violet uh, cookies uh, that will be for. Um for $14 and you can get them for yourself for Valentine's Day. If you want to have something sweet for yourself, you can get it for your Valentine's. You can be a, send it to a secret Valentine. It's $14. Um, and you'll also get early access to this world premiere as well. Um, so if you are interested in purchasing some cookies, uh, contact info at movementhqballet.org. Again, that's info at movementhqballet.org. It's $14 domestic shipping only. Um, and all of those proceeds for the cookies go directly to movement headquarters because Bernadette is, uh, donating her, donating her services. And she is a wonderful chef and baker. I've had many of her, many of her creations. So that's, that. um, also you can head on to our Patreon. If you want to learn more about land of the sweets, we're still releasing content three times a month with that. And then we send a little, little extra treats. Um, we're starting a workshop actually next week. Uh, for tea and coffee. So we're we're about halfway done with our workshop for choreography for Land of the Sweets. And then we'll be moving uh, on to building the immersive aspects of that after we finish that. Um, lastly, just in our intro announcements, <laughs> it's a long intro, people. Um, I'm continuing virtual beginner ballet classes on Fridays, uh, 6.45 p.m. Eastern throughout February. They've been very popular um, throughout January. Uh, so if you would like to take those, you can reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or head to info at movementhqballet.org. Um, and send me a message, sorry, send me a message there. Um, it's $14 for class and we gather on zoom 6 45 PM Eastern standard time. All right. So this week's podcast, I feel like I don't know. It's been such a dark year. Um, and it's funny because they're like, yay, vaccines are here. And then they're like, new variants. The world is getting darker and more horrifying. Um, also, it's like the doldrums of winter. We've made it through the holiday season, which is warm and the, the it's getting darker from a lighter, uh, like the, the sun being out more. Um, and then I always feel like late January, early February is always just like the hardest time of the year for me to get through. Um, I think it's just because it's been dark for a while. It's the coldest time here in the Northeast United States. Um, and then we, on top of it this year, we have all these other things. So instead of doing something that's really like thoughtful and in depth for this week's podcast, I was thinking I would actually do, uh, an episode that was, uh, recommended by one of our regular podcasts, uh, uh, people who, listeners who is constantly, uh, asking for different topics. So Angela Han, she's on South Korea. Thank you for this recommendation. Um, I'm going to do funny stories, uh, from the dance studio to the stage and beyond. Um, so yeah, dance is, uh, I think the experience of dance is generally just interesting. It's, it's not like, uh, working in an office. Um, it's not like playing sports. Like you're essentially, you're learning an art form that is a sport. So there is actually, there is obviously the athletic aspect to it and a very physical 
like the physical uh, requirements to be a dancer, but we we're also artists and we act. So there's also like a having that willing, like to be a dancer, you have to have a willingness to let yourself go in the studio um, to allow yourself to embarrass yourself. Like I, I often say uh, to my students who are not thinking so much about their, um, their, 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 uh, they're not thinking so much about the acting aspect of dance um, when they're in technique class. I, I'll often mention to them, like, you do have to think about what your face is doing. You can't just have this, like, s- stare of uh, concentration. You have to be willing to let yourself go beyond that and think about what you're doing. Like, uh, if you think of Jim Carrey, like, I doubt that Jim Carrey went into, like, the Grinch um, or the mask, depending on how old you are and <laughs> what you know of Jim Carrey. Um, I doubt that he just, like, was able to make those faces. My assumption is that he, like, stared in front of a mirror for hours upon hours and just, like, started making crazy faces. Um, and, sorry, didn't start. He made crazy faces over and over and over again and perfected them. So it's the same with dance. So um, you have to have, like, a willingness to go out of your comfort zone and be silly and make a fool of yourself to truly become a dancer. Um so you're going to hear an ambulance siren in the background because welcome to New York City. Uh, <laughs> but going on. So dance, it's kind of a crazy experience. Um, and then also like things happen beyond just the dancers. Like I've seen a set piece catch fire on stage uh, when I danced with Houston Ballet. Um, I've seen dancers miss their cues to come on stage during live performances, not like rehearsals, dress rehearsal, tech rehearsal, like. They're supposed to be on stage to interact with somebody and or to bring a prop on and everybody's like waiting for them and nobody knows where they are. Um, I've seen dancers trying to keep it together for rehearsal after a huge donor party the night before. I remember uh, a dancer doing a port bras forward in plies. I, we had all been out to like 3 a.m. It was like, let's be at, be with this donor and like keep them uh, like have a good time and keep them interested in in the ballet um but everybody went a little too crazy and she put a broad forward at the beginning of bar in her plies and from the hanging over position with her head towards her knees she ran out of the studio to the bathroom uh to do what i assume you can figure that out um but yeah things like that happen um so i thought that i would share some of my funniest dance memories and this is from the studio to the stage from performance and teaching so thank you angela for um making this recommendation all right so this one is actually one of my more recent ones um i do not teach kids generally under 10 I do here and there, but um, they have to be really, really focused. When I do and they're not, I don't know what to do. I'm miserable, usually very miserable, and it's just one miserable party. Um, But yeah, so one summer, a a year or two, I guess this is like two years ago, um, I was convinced to teach a younger group of students for the summer um, once a week for an hour, so it wasn't too long, um, at one of the schools that I I taught at regularly. so I was obviously going into this uh, not really, like, excited to be teaching it. But this is one of those situations that was one of the reasons why I don't um, want to teach that level. Um, but at the same time, looking back at it, it was kind of funny. So this was um, an eight-year-old student. And it was their first time in a contemporary class. Um, so they were just like, they had no idea what we were doing. Um, they had taken ballet for a couple of years, but also at that age, it's kind of like more about play than it is about like structure. Um, 
So we were doing isolations. Um, if you don't know what an isolation is in jazz or contemporary, um, it's when you move just like one part of your body. So uh, like maybe you move your head forward and side and back and side and forward and side and back and side. And then you draw a circle between those four points. Um, that would be an isolation. Often you'll do like your head and neck. You might do your shoulders, your ribs, your hips. Um, I even sometimes do knee isolations. Um, so we had gone from the head, um, to the shoulders and then the ribs and we were working our way to the hips and we were doing the front and the side and the back and the side. And then we started stirring it around. And right as we started stirring it around <laughs> this eight year old, she had a moment where she just stopped and she thrust her chest forward and she pulled her hips back, like ginching her tailbone, like up to the back of her neck. Um, and she's, she raises her hand <laughs> and she goes, can I go to the bathroom? And I mean, like me, complete horror because I'm very awkward with the bathroom. Like I won't even really talk about myself going to the bathroom. Um, clearly we had stirred something up that made her have to immediately go to the bathroom or maybe she did a little bit. Um, but <laughs> I, I, a, I didn't want any embarrassment from her or me. So I was like, go, 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 go. But it was like a moment where you knew like something had happened or something was very, very close to happening. Um, so yeah, looking back, I think it's pretty funny. In the moment, I was horrified. I'm pretty sure she was horrified. Um, but that's not an uncommon thing. Like I know uh, some of my friends who teach young kids, like they end up pee, like cleaning up pee on the floor constantly. Kids have accents in their leotards. Um, that is one of the main reason I do not teach <laughs> teach little kids. I have uh, four uh, nieces and nephews with my my sister, and then on my husband's side, uh, several as well. Um, it, my on my sister's side, um, they live on the east coast, so I see them more frequently. Um, one is sixteen, one is fourteen, uh, and once they hit like an age that we could talk like normal people like great fantastic my my younger nep two nephews are are two and four um and i have barely talked to them i i've held one of them once like i am just not like an infant person or toddler person so pretty much like the age of eight is really depending on the maturity of the kid like the closest i can get to like really connecting it's just the person the type of person i am i struggle with the really young ones um but uh yeah that was a moment all right. Um, oh, this is one of my favorite ones. I, I may have talked, there are a couple of, of these in here that I've talked about before, but not maybe as much in depth, um, except for one, but I'll get to that. Um, the Nutty Nutcracker. Every year uh, when I danced for Pacific Northwest Ballet on Christmas Eve, we had a noon performance. So on the 24th of December, we would have a noon performance and it was usually around the 30th performance, which is essentially like when all of us would really start to burn out on Nutcracker. You are exhausted. Um, usually like the first weekend, but like after Thanksgiving, we would start Friday, Saturday, Sunday on Black Friday. Um, and we'd have like five performances. The next week we'd have six. The next week we'd have seven. By this point, we were having like eight performances a week with like a day off if we were lucky. Sometimes we would go like 12 days in a row without a day off. Um, though they would often give us one day off in the middle of it so they didn't have to pay us extra, which that's a that, that got to me. But as a director now, I get that. But um, at the same time, it's like reward people for the hard work. But anyway, so I don't get too too far uh, sidetracked. So on this like thirty something performance, we would start to we we would specify this one performance. We would let off some steam and we would play play around with things. Now the artistic uh, staff they 
every, we would get a lecture before every show, like the day or two before. We want you to have fun, but remember people paid for this and many people come to it thinking it's a regular nutcracker and if they don't get the regular nutcracker, they want their money back and then we get complaints and then they never come back and blah, blah, blah. So um, they would do that every year, but it didn't matter. We were going to do what we were going to do. Um, so one of my one of my favorite things to do would to be to watch the snow scene. The crew would put huge cardboard boxes of the snow in the wings. Um, and the snow that we would use, it was like this thick paper. Um, and it had to be covered in like a flame retardant so that it couldn't catch fire because it was up in the where the lights were and that would fall down from there. Um, so the women would run off stage and gather clumps of snow in their hands between their entrances and exits. And many of them would even shove snow down their tops. So they had like backups. Um and they would have a snowball fight and some of them would do like coordinated things other than like they would like attack each other and some of them if they didn't get along like they would go for each other it was amazing to watch and then at the very at the very uh end of it the crew would dump the entirety of the snow on top of the women and you couldn't see anything on stage um so yeah, that was one of my favorite things. It was always really funny to watch. Um, people would do different things. Like at one point, people skied across stage. Uh, Drosselmeyer used a remote control for the dolls as if he was really like controlling them. Um, the orchestra would even do things like during snow, they would sing Scooby, Scooby-Doo. Um, and they would add like more uh, traditional christmas songs into the overture it really was just a fun time um my husband he after the second year of nutcracker when he after we got together um he stopped wanting to see the nutcracker because it was like the same thing every year he saw every other show that we did but um he always requested to sit backstage and watch from the wings for the nutty nutcracker because it was so fun to see what people were doing backstage and then to see it happen on stage um, but for me personally, my favorite thing that I did as a part of the Nutty Nutcracker one year. So there was this in the old version of Kent Stoll's, uh, Nutcracker, which I think it's really a shame that Pizarro Nothos Ballet ditched that version to do the, tr- like the Balanchine Nutcracker. Everybody does that. I wish that they would have just, just done their own new original one if they wanted to replace it. But, um, there was an extra scene that's not usually in the Nutcracker to, I think it was a German, German opera music. Um, and it was, we, it was a scene where there were three dancers that were holding masks. There was like a mouse, a nutcracker, and then the pearl pat, which is part, it's, it's a, it's a reference to the original book. Um, and, uh, how the mouse bites the pearl pat, which causes her to go become ugly or curses the pearl pat. It's, it's, it's not direct, but it's, it's similar. Um, it's actually a, a woman, Mrs. Mouserling. Um, but anyway, so, uh, the, th- what happens is the three dance together. The nutcracker is trying to stop the mouse from biting the hand of the pearl pat, but in the end they bite, it, he bites the hand of the pearl pat and they switch masks and the pearl pat is ugly. So there are four masks all together, but, um, so you dance with three and that switches to the ugly mask. Um, so in place of it, I blew up a headshots of our artistic staff. So the ballet master, two ballet masters and ballet mistress, now rehearsal directors to be more politically correct. Um, we had their headshots and, uh, two, two male, one female. So the Pearl of Pat was our female ballet mistress and the, the other two were the, the, the ballet masters. Um, and then when the, one of the ballet masters ha- bit the hand of the Pearl of Pat, 
we switched from the ballet mistress to the artistic director, Peter Bull. It was hilarious. We were dying, but we knew we were doing something really, really risky. Um, so as soon as it was over, um, we all, we had agreed that when it was done, that instead of going off stage and like catching our breath, that we needed to not be backstage because we might get in a lot of trouble. So, um, as soon as like we, we would turn and we would all run off stage in a line, um, after the music was over, we turned, we ran off and we ran as fast as we could off the stage into the hallways, down the stairs to our dressing rooms, which were a few floors down. And then we locked the doors of our dressing rooms. <laughs> we didn't get in trouble, but, um, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, gave us a good laugh. All right. Um, Another fun story, funny story. Um, so I'm not going to tell this whole story. If you want to hear it, go on iTunes. It's episode 124 or on um, the Premier Dance Network website um, for my former podcast, episode 124. Um, this, I think this is hilarious. It was crazy. Um, the, so the episode was my craziest open class experience. Um, back in, I think it was 2018? I think it was 2018. Um, I had a woman who claimed to be younger than me, so in her early 30s, um, who started taking my class and also claimed to be a professional dancer. Um, she was definitely in her 50s, and um, the reason she was a professional dancer was because she had created her uh, her own company. Um, so I I don't want to get too deep into that because I don't want to offend anybody who hasn't had any professional experience and created their own. Um, this is a much more complicated situation. Um, so please don't take offense if you, if you feel that I'm speaking about you or to you, I'm not, um, it's, it was a situation, but so, um, this woman, she took my class and the first time she took my class, she was disruptive, just like pulling out the bars and like forcing people to do things. And I was like, wait, 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 like you don't come in and just like do things like this is how we set it up. Um, and usually when you enter a classroom, you kind of like sit back and see what the culture of the classroom is because every classroom is different. Um, and then the next week she came late, but the studio, I was in a smaller studio and it was packed and she just walked in and almost got hit by somebody. So I was like, wait, I was like, go to the door. I was like, wait for me. And I was like, there, you need to open your eyes when you walk in the room. You can't just walk in and like do whatever you want. You're going to, you could hurt yourself. You could hurt somebody else. And she got snappy. And I was like, look, do you want to stay here? Or do you want to go? Or, or, or do you want to leave? I was like, you're welcome to go back and ask for your money back. And she's like, I want to stay. So she stayed. Um, so after class, she came up, she's like, I really like your class. She's like, you scared me at the beginning. But she's like, I, I think you have something valuable to give. And she came and took my class like once more. Um, and I didn't see her for a few more, a few months. Um, I ran into her in an elevator going to see a, an in-studio performance at Steps on Broadway. And she didn't even recognize me. She was like, hello, my name is this and that. She goes, who are you? And I was like, I know her name, blah, blah. I was like, you've taken my class. And she's like, oh, oh. And she turns to her friend. She goes, he's a famous ballet teacher, which I thought was hilarious. One thing you should know, if anybody calls you a genius or famous, um, <laughs> chances are you should maybe go in the other direction. Um, don't let them become a strong part of your life um, because I've had that happen several times and they've never ended well. Um, 
waiting for the time that it does, um, or I'm just not a genius or famous. So, <laughs> um, and they're just trying to like up my my ego so that I feel like good when I'm around them, and then I want to be around them, and then chaos at the end. But anyway, so um, I thought that was funny, and then afterwards we were talking, and she was like, "I I really like your class. I'm going to come back." And in my head, I was like, "Oh God, please don't," because she was already she was already a problem every time she came. But so. She comes back to class the next time and she is raising a ruckus. She's running back and forth from one side of the bar to the other side of the bar, one side of the bar to the other side of the bar. And I go, I go, blah, blah. Can you please stop doing that? And she goes, oh, little me. She's like, leave me alone. I don't remember exactly. Go listen to the episode. It's been a couple of years, but she like talks back to me. And I was like, just stop going back and forth. So I'm like mad at this point. And I'm like trying to keep the class functioning because teaching at Broadway Dance Center is crazy. Like you're constantly dealing with different things um, going on beyond just teaching, like getting the music going, making sure that everything is going according to time. Because you don't know who's going to show up to your class. You're essentially constantly altering your class because um, maybe you taught, you, you developed a harder class and you realize the people that showed up can't dance at that level. Excuse me, because people can just show up in the time that they want. Um, Sorry, people can show up to the levels they want, um, not necessarily knowing what their, uh, not necessarily knowing what their uh, the actual level of the class is. But anyway, so I, I show the other co- the next combination, and I'm like kind of shaking because I'm angry, um, but I'm trying to like pretend like I'm not. So I show the combination. I go and the music starts playing. And I walk over to her and I was like, "Look, if you if you want to." Uh, sorry, I was like, you need to be respectful. Like, this is my classroom. If you don't want to follow the rules, you can leave now and you can go ask for your money back. And she was like, you need to calm down. And I was like, excuse me? No, this is my class. If you don't want to follow it, then you can leave. Um, so you can either go and ask for your money back or you can stay. And she goes, get away from me. And I was like, okay, that's it. You need to go. And she's like, no, I'm not leaving. And I was like, I clapped my hands. I pointed to her. I was like, get out. And she said, no. So I had to go over and call security. Um, security had to come and take her out. They took her out. She wanted, She was like, I don't understand why I can't be in there. I can get past this. Um, and why can't he? And the security was like, well, ma'am, he doesn't want you in there. And she was, when she realized that she wasn't going to get to go back, she uh, suddenly was like, he tried to touch me inappropriately. Um, and the security guard and I are friends T like he's he's my buddy and uh he knows me and he knows like my husband and um he's like what (laughs) and she was like and I saw him at a show at steps and he tried so hard to come on to me that I had to shove him away from me and he's like sitting there like yeah okay like I am gay and I have a husband and I'm coming on to this like buxom 50 something year old woman who like, it just made no sense. So he got her out of there. Um, and then I found out down the line that she actually had claimed that a film director um, who she had hired for her professional company to do a film on her, um, she had a lot of money. Um, apparently mafia ties. Um, but anyway, so she uh, had claimed that he when something went wrong with the relationship she had claimed that he had sexually harassed her and had a foot fetish and she her her boyfriend her husband at the time was a lawyer and he was suing him and they went to the new york post to smear him 
Um, so there was actually an article smearing him in the New York Post. Um, so I somebody that I knew actually knew who this person was because they had had issues with her as well, sent me the article I sent it to Broadway Dancer and she got kicked out of Broadway Dancer and she's never allowed to go back again. Um, so that was crazy, hilarious, nuts. Like in the time it was stressful, but I mean, looking back, that was just insane. So if you want to hear like that whole story in depth, go to episode 124 uh, of Pot of Chat, Talking Dance. All right. Next, the Maypole dance in La Female Garday. So La Female Garday, we did Sir Frederick Ashton's version when I danced with Houston Ballet. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a comedic ballet. It's humorous. Um, it takes place like in a farm. A mother wants uh, her daughter to marry the simple-minded guy, Alain. Um, and she's in love with another peasant and they're like behind the scenes doing things. Um, anyway, so the end of the first act, um, is, uh, a dance around a maypole with a quarter ballet. And we were doing this, this dance, um, and we were going around and if, when you do a maypole, um, what they usually do is you get like a certain amount of people going one direction, a certain amount of people going the opposite. So one is like uh, clockwise and the other is going counterclockwise. Um, I think there were 16 of us. There might've been 24. But so everybody has a ribbon and we're dancing, we're skipping, we're going out and in and out and in. And the other group is going in and out and in and out. And we're all holding ribbons. And when we do it correctly, um, you weave the the colorful ribbons into this like beautiful pattern um and it gets closer and closer together and it's it's really cool to see um so one show we were doing that and somebody must have missed going in and then everybody ended up getting like backed up and pushed around and nobody knew which like hole they were supposed to enter because usually it's like every other you go in or out or in or out but because of this everything ended up weaving incorrectly and it was like lopsided on one side. Um, but this goes on for a while and people are going on and on. It's not like we're just going to stop. We're in the middle of a live performance. And as it's starting to weave towards like one side of the stage, I can't remember if it was stage left or stage right. The maypoles, which is, I don't know how tall it was, 20, 30 feet tall and very heavy, starts to turn diagonally and the bottom of it starts to tilt off the floor. And it is going to fall and crash down, not only on top of people, but on top of like the booms and the lighting and take, like it was like we were about to be a disaster. And there was one dancer um, who he had smart thinking and instead of like feeling the need to stay in the choreography and save his job, he ran to the maypole and he sat on it. He just hugged it and sat on it and smiled and waved at the audience. Um, So... Uh, he saved the day, but that was everybody was freaking out because we thought that it was uh, we thought that it was going to be uh, a disaster. But he saved the day. So that's the Maypole dance from La Female Garday. Um, it's a fun ballet. It's kind of a uh, fluffy, um, but some hard choreography in there too. Um, all right, next. Oh, the crying pot of rehearsal. Okay, so. I did a gig with a modern dance company in Philadelphia, and we did this really hard uh, pas de deux, duet, whatever you want to call it, um, by Colin Connor, who I think he ended up directing the Limon Company the past couple of years, but he just uh, recently left. Um, 
trying to keep up on my ballet trivia. But yeah, so Colin Connor, he was, I believe, a Martha Graham dancer um, who also did a lot of choreography after he left that company. Um, so um, this was like a different situation. This was one of those companies where it wasn't like they were a full-time company and or a seasonal company. They essentially would rehearse like in the evenings and then put on shows like two or three times a year. Um, and I was hired to do, um, two show, two, two gigs with this company. It was like the Philadelphia Fringe Festival in 2012 and 2013, I believe. Um, so there was one dancer who acted as their rehearsal mistress. Um, and honestly, one of my least favorite interactions with any dancer I've ever had. Um, this dancer, she was in her forties. She, didn't have the emotional maturity of a 40 year old that I would expect. Um, when we were performing, like she was like, Oh my God, I am beyond butterflies. The butterflies are now eating my stomach alive. And for me, like in your forties, if you're a performer, in my opinion, you should know how to control that stuff. Um, so there was like a major immaturity factor there, but also she was one of those dancers that had that complex of like, I have been here for 20 years and I know more than anything. And if I disagree, I am the right one. And um, everybody has to do it, do everything my way. Like it was like that. But um, I was, so I was, she was staging this work. Um, she, she, like, she was also one of those dancers that couldn't count. I, I remember when I danced for a modern company, one of my first gigs as a teenager, everybody would stay in the front of the room and clap and count over the music and they just couldn't count on the music, which today I don't understand. Um, but they would actually argue not over the counts. They would argue about what beat they were actually counting on, which looking back at like bonkers. Um, <laughs> the, but anyway, so they would have a, she, she would like be very aggressive with things like that. But so this piece wasn't straightforward and she didn't have the counts written down. So we're just kind of like guessing what the counts were, um, and going from there, but she was also teaching this to another dancer. So we did two shows. I danced one show with her and I danced one show with this other dancer. Um, and they had, they had danced together for a couple of years and they already had like stress in their relationship. Um, and then I was like entering this stressful situation with like strange counts, but without clear counts um, and without clear ideas of the choreography um, and then having to deal with the stress between the two of them. So um, we had a Sunday rehearsal and um, <laughs> I had to go teach. So I had like a limited amount of time and it was towards the end of the rehearsal process. So what we we're going to do is we were going to run one with the one dancer and run one with the other dancer. So we did the one run, we did corrections, and then um, we started to do the run with the other dancer and something went wrong. And the rehearsal director said something that triggered the other dancer and the other dancer flipped out and started screaming. and was like, you know what, that's it, I'm done. I'm not doing this, I'm not doing this at all. I refuse, I'm not doing it. Um, and she like, put on her boots, it was, it was winter, she put on her boots, put on her clothing, and left. And I was sitting there like, oh, what's, so are we going to do this? Like, I don't know what to do. Um, is it just going to be you now for both of the shows? It was like a week before the shows, or is it going to be both of you? Um, I have to go teach. I don't know what to do. Um, then, like five minutes later, the dancer came back into the studio um, and started screaming at both of us again. 
And she was like, I would think you would defend me. I can't believe you're not. And I was like, I, I'm not involved in this. Like, I don't want to be a part of this. I just came here to dance. Um, and I have to go to work otherwise. Um, so then she like took off her boots and we ended, she was like, I, I'm going to rehearse this. And we ended up rehearsing it, but she cried the entire time that we rehearsed it. It was like a crying pas de deux. And this is like a really hard puffy piece. You need to concentrate, but here she is crying. Um, it was bonkers. She ended up doing the performance. Um, I had made the decision after that rehearsal that I would never dance for this company again, as long as this rehearsal director was involved. Um, and I let that be known and I have never danced for them again. Um, I don't know if she's still involved, but I mean, there are some people who are, I I'm starting to see how certain things can happen now that I'm starting to direct where somebody's like really, really helpful to you, but then it becomes difficult, uh, when you see how they're, they affect others. Um, and you have like that commitment to that, to them. And, but at the same time, you, you don't know how to like put that person in line. It's, it's very complicated. It's interesting. Um, but yeah, it was, I mean, looking back, it was hilarious. Like doing a really, really hard duet for like 10, 15 minutes with like the other person crying the entire time that you're dancing with them. Um, would have loved to see that that day on film. Um, <laughs> okay, Cinderella on tour. This is our next one. I've talked about this again, so I'm not going to talk uh, tell the whole story. Um, when I was with Houston Ballet, we went on tour with Cinderella. Um, and we... There's a moment when the the carriage comes out to the ball, and this carriage was on a very thin platform. Um, and there were four female core members dressed as white horses, um, and the horse heads, they covered their face in a way that they could only see directly forward. Um, there was somebody with, like, a whip at the front um, behind the horses, and then there was somebody, two people on the back of the carriage, um, and then Lauren Anderson, uh, famous black ballerina from Houston Ballet, she uh, was Cinderella. And so they're, they're pulling the carriage out, and the whole core, we're about to do uh, a big waltz scene with tons of dancing. We all stop, we turn, and we face the carriage as it comes out, and it's on this thin platform. And the horses were having trouble. Oh, I think the platform was extra thin because the size of the stage was smaller than the Houston Ballet stage. So I think they cut one of them off. So it was half the size. So to make the, the horse ladies more comfortable, um, the crew on the other side was uh, guiding them forward, forward, left, right, because they were afraid that they were going to fall off the side of the, the stage. But in this show, it actually happened. So you hear, we're standing there watching as the conductor's like moving his uh, baton and we're all sitting there watching this glorious moment as the music calms and becomes magical and the carriage comes across the stage and the prince is ready to meet Cinderella. Um, and you hear, we can hear, you can't hear in the audience, but we can hear in the wings, left, left, right, right, left, 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 left. And then all of a sudden, the back of the carriage falls off of the platform with Lauren Anderson in it. So the front half is on, the back half is dangling off. You see a crew member dive off the, the back wing to go help. And another one and another one, they're pushing it up. Um, you see one of the people on, on, so you see the guy on the front of the, the carriage throw his whip, fall off the, the carriage. Um, and then all of a sudden you hear uh, a crash. Oh, before that, sorry, one, two of the horses had fallen over. 
one of the horses is standing and crying and they're like, are you still there? Cause they can't feel them next to them anymore. Um, and then all of a sudden you hear a crack and push and you see the carriage go back on and they go, 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 go. And they continue to pull the carriage forward. So you think that that was like it. Um, as this is happening, the conductor is just like going, going, the music's going and the waltz is about to start, but we can't do anything because we don't, we, we just see this disaster happening. But so you think it can't get any worse, but when they come to open the door to let Lauren out of the carriage, when it fell, her cape had attached to something in the carriage. And when she went to go step out of the carriage, it caught and she got stuck and she didn't know what to do. So she just yanked really hard. And when she did that, it detached and she went flying down the stage into the prince Dominic Walsh's arms. Um, he had a company down in Houston for a while um, and he caught her and she was like shaking and he looks at her and he goes, Lauren, because she just like wasn't doing anything. <clears throat> and he goes, Lauren, um, we need to leave the stage. And she just like glazed eyes, like walks off stage and we have to like start this waltz and we're all cracking up. It was insane. It wasn't on film, but one of my friends actually from home in Pennsylvania happened to be in the area and saw the show. So she actually saw it. So yeah, that was a fun one. All right. I got two more for y'all. Um, okay, this one is not uh, not directly in a studio or offstage, but this is Valentine's Day, even though it was April Fool's when we did it, but it's a love one. Um, so uh, this is still dance related. Uh, when I lived in the dorms as a teen at the School of American Ballet, um, it was like right around the time that social media was really starting. We had MySpace. Um, and we love to play, play practical jokes on one another. Actually, I didn't, I wasn't really a part of that, but people would do it constantly to me. And then I would sort of like sit around in the background, but this was one that I had actually concocted. Um, so there were six, uh, five of us in our, our suite of roommates. Um, and I had come up with the idea and then gathered uh, maybe two or three other people outside of our, our suite um, to play a f uh, April Fool's joke on one of our roommates. He, uh, he was more of a, a techie. He actually uh, just retired as a soloist with American Ballet Theater. Um, but he, he was really into like tech and computers and um, electronic music and uh, things that like as kids, most kids weren't into at the time. Um, but we had found, um, we would do like AIM, AOL Instant Messenger. It was like text messaging, but before text messaging was really a thing. Um, we uh, had concocted this girl in, I think it was like South Carolina or North Carolina, who was like into everything that he was into, like dark clothing, um, electronic music, soccer, um, everything that he liked just happened to, she, sorry, everything that she liked just happened to align with what he liked because it was us. Um, so we actually had one of the, one of our close female friends who was in a different suite. So he could never catch us and we would do reconnaissance. Like we'd make sure that he was in his room on his computer and somebody was there. And if he was leaving that they would like, there were always two, sorry, two would, one would, one would walk with him, but the other one would like run ahead and let us know if he was leaving the room. Um, so for over a month, we had made this connection. Um, and they were talking, talking, talking. And then, uh, we had a reveal where we actually like, we're like, surprise, it's us. 
Um, but we we did it in a way so that like it was in public because we were afraid he was going to flip his mind. Um, but yeah, bored teenagers living together. Try like it was essentially like even though we were teenagers, it was like living in a college dormitory. So we were like much younger, but having like a college experience. But um, I don't know. I love these types of moments because I'm I'm realizing how much. Like now that I'm in my my mid to late thirties, whatever you want to say, thirty seven is. It's funny. I look at like ballet companies, and I'm like, damn, they are so young, but at the same time, like so professional, so adult, like highest level of their game. Where like so most people in other careers you hit the highest level of their game, like in their between like their mid thirties and like their mid sixties. Like these are like teens and early twenty year olds. Um, so for me, it like brings some warmth and joy to my heart because it's like still, still these kids like performing at their highest level can still find ways to like have fun and be kids. So, um, it was just hilarious to go through the process of like really like finding ways to have this person identify with him, knowing like all of his like deepest, most, uh, uh his deepest interests um and then cultivating this like romance i mean i feel bad in the end but it was all in good fun we did it because we cared and loved loved him and wanted to do something that would be funny in a, a memory um but uh yeah that that was that was a fun moment for us back as teens all right last one in honor of the snowstorm that is supposed to hit new york tomorrow i'm gonna tell you a story about snow um we uh, are supposed to get like 14 to 18 inches of snow tomorrow. Um, cause there's a nor'easter coming. I love snow. Um, so, uh, this is another nutcracker story. Um, typically in the nutcracker, uh, at the end of the battle scene, Clara throws a shoe at the nutcracker, uh, sorry, the mouse king and it kills him. Um, the way that we did it at Pacific Northwest Ballet, the mouse, the actual like true mouse king was this huge like wooden thing that would come out on stage, massive. And Clara would take her shoe and she would throw it into the wing past that. Um, so it would look like she was hitting the nutcracker because it looked like the back end of the nutcracker was actually offstage. Um, and every once in a while, because Clara was a child, she would miss or hit something, actually hit it, um, and it would stay on stage. Um, so... They would hire some additional like production people um, that were just like there for Nutcracker. Um, so they weren't used to like how it functioned. Um, and they didn't know necessarily that that was like a normal thing. And there was one that I had become friends with. And um, what happened was Clara missed. The shoe was still on stage. And my friend, she had kicked the shoe off stage so that nobody else tripped over it because it can actually become a danger that somebody could trip and hurt themselves on the shoe. So she had kicked it off stage. And this crew, this crew member came up to me um, and he goes, hey, that blonde kicked it off stage. I really want to thank her for doing that. Um, do you know where, where she comes off stage? And I said, okay. I was like, I need to, I was like, she comes off stage over here, but I need to give you some background so that you know exactly how to do this because you're not going to, if you're waiting for her when she gets off stage, it's not going to go well. Uh, so I said, she's going to finish. As soon as she gets into the wing, she's going to fall down and it's going to be very dramatic. She's going to fall down and she's going to completely collapse. Uh, and she's going to huff and puff and then she's going to start sobbing. Not like a little like whimper. It's going to be a full out sob. Tears, not like, not like, uh, uh, she's being, uh, 
I mean, she was being dramatic, um, but not like she's like ups, like just kind of upset. She's going to sob. Um, you're going to have to leave her there for two to three minutes. Let her finish sobbing and catch her breath. And then as soon as she's done, then you can go up to her <laughs> and you can, you can thank her. Um, and he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, I was like, this is Nutcracker is extremely emotional, like physically and emotionally exhausting. It's really hard for us to get through it. And for some reason, she just can't keep herself together and it helps her get through the shows. So every time she does snow, especially this spot, because it's a harder spot, that's what she does. Um, uh, and so if she, she runs off stage, it finishes. I wasn't there. She collapses. She cries two or three minutes later. He walks up to her and thanks her. And she goes, Oh, my pleasure. Not a problem. Like, thanks for, thanks for saying something. Um, and then, so I come up, up on, on stage, uh, like backstage for, uh, the second act. And he comes up to me. He's like, yo, I can't believe it. He's like, you were 100% correct. Like she did exactly what you said, which is like, you think like crying isn't like a regular habit. Um, but he was like, she did exactly what you said. And I, he's like, I was really glad you told me because I was kind of mortifying because she looked so upset, like she got hurt or something. Um, and I was like, nope, that's just what it is. You know, dancers, we're dramatic and emotional. We feel all of our feelings internally. That's one thing I was saying about the pandemic. I was saying how, um, dancers, I feel like every emotion we've had in the past year, we feel in very different ways than other people do because we are taught to like internalize our emotions into our body and then move out of that um so maybe that was like part of the reason why she would have such an emotional reaction because she was so exhausted that she had to like just let it out otherwise it would tear her apart inside but yeah that was always fun i I just she did it constantly i would i'd laugh at her because it was just so funny and she could laugh about it too she knew it was ridiculous um so yeah there we go these are my funniest dance memories from studio to stage and everything in between thank you again angela for uh giving us that uh that recommendation for an episode i hope that you guys enjoyed it thank you for understanding that this episode is a little bit late i'm still trying to take care of this foot hopefully we'll be back on track in the future so uh it's a bit of a longer episode so i'm gonna leave it at that so I hope that you enjoyed this week's episode of Pod Chat Talking Dance. If there are any topics you'd like to hear me talk about, please feel free to reach out to me via my website contact page at www.barrycorolis.com. Again, that's www.barrykerolis.com. If you'd like to check out my company website, you can go to www.movementhqballet.org. Again, that's movementhqballet.org. Uh, lastly, we are continuing to put out content fresh new content on our patreon you can visit that at www.patreon.com forward slash movement hq you can also reach out on all of these platforms to become a sponsor for our podcast or to book master classes in ballet or contemporary technique for choreography or speaking engagements i hope you enjoyed listening in and talking dance with me if you enjoyed this chat please feel free to share rate and review our podcast on itunes every bit of extra visibility keeps these podcasts running and if this didn't fulfill your dance fix check out my sister podcast on the premier dance network if you want to connect with me to see where i'm choreographing teaching and what i'm doing in my everyday life you can follow me on facebook instagram where my name is b Krolis, or on twitter bariscos you can also follow movement headquarters on instagram at movement underscore headquarters also, be sure to check out my blogs. I have Life of a Freelance Dancer, 
at lifeoffreelancedancer.blogspot.com and I wrote on there for five years about touring the country as a freelance artist. I also have Dancing Offstage and that's at dancingoffstage.blogspot.com and I wrote on there about the post-performance careers of professional dancers. If you're curious about my choreography, you can head over to YouTube and check out my channel, B. Corollas, or my company's channel, Movement Headquarters. We're constantly putting out new videos on there. Thanks for listening in to Pata Chats. I hope you return two weeks from this Friday to talk dance with me, and remember to go out and support your local dance scene.